Good evening. Glad y'all came. And uh, <clears throat> turn on my sound here. Uh, I want to start by just uh, familiarizing you a little bit with a couple things. Man, thanks for coming out. Um, I've been really, as I said, I've been really going after this the last year, uh, kind of familiarizing myself with uh, the first century church which I don't believe was ever supposed to go away. There's honestly, uh, I, I, when Jesus is praying in John chapter 17, for example, he doesn't just pray in stages. He's not like, well, your disciples in this first century church is going to be awesome, but after a couple thousand years, they're going to be a bunch of losers and I'm going to have to come and rescue them. <laughs> okay, he doesn't say that. So there's this, so there's this, yeah, really, thank you. So there's to be this consistency with what's going on in the first century church. I can live today. And I do, I believe that. So this last year, I've just been captivated with that. I've been going back and, and looking into the, the book of Acts. And like I said, uh, Ephesians, which scholars do. They say, if you want to know a church that was just with it, Ephesus was that church. Um, by the time you get to the end of the first century, when Paul is dead and gone and John, uh, the last you know, of the disciples, still alive. He's uh, come back from the island of Patmos. He dies in Ephesus. And, and he actually, when you come into uh, Revelation chapters 2 and 3 of the seven churches, Ephesus is the first one mentioned because literally all those other churches came out of Ephesus. Like they literally just spawned. They seeded a bunch of, a bunch of churches. And so... Uh, I was wanting to talk about loins tonight. We're going to talk about it tomorrow. Loins is that. And I know that's why you teenagers came, because you want to hear about loins. And who doesn't want to hear about loins? I know I've been, you know, I've been wanting to talk about them all day. Uh, so, but we're going to have to do it tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. Because we are going to get, but I, there's some preparatory things that we need to get into. But first, um, I want to encourage you. I'd love to keep in contact. I say that with, to people all the time. Uh, we, I'd love to be able to, to be able to speak into your life. And dude, all my stuff is like free. I ain't like charging you for this stuff, okay? Except for the books. I'm gonna stick you for the books because they cost me money. But um, if you go to my website, hear this, okay? Sometimes I know some of the, uh, there are certain people in the church that have difficulty with technology. And we know that that's the teenager generation, okay? So teenagers really pay attention on this. Um, if you go to my website, it's, now watch this, it's one page, that's it. If you cannot hand that, if you cannot handle that, please turn in your phones on your way out. Okay? It doesn't get any easier than that. And if you go to my website and you go to the bottom, of course, there's store, donate, schedule, that kind of stuff. And, you know, hey, you can go deeper if you want. But at the bottom, we got these quick links. Um, you got schedule, contact, all that stuff. But right here under free resources says sermon podcast. Now, if you click that, it takes you to this page, you can listen to it right there. If you have a phone, a computer, an iPad, some type of, you know, whatever device, you can listen to it. And if, uh, for those of you who are a little bit more savvy, you can actually hit the Podbeam. There's a little Podbeam deal right there, and it's an app on your phone, and you can download them to your phone and listen. And, and I've got little studies that I, I type up that go with them. And, and what we're doing is, is there's a group of people, I mean, we have about, about 1,200 downloads a month, people that are following us on these studies. And I'd love to be able to eventually get to the point where we're having like a dialogue 
where people can ask questions and we can respond. But the whole idea is just, I'd, I'd love you to study with me. I mean, it's, it's really good material. It's, it's, I mean, it's right out of Ephesus. You don't get any better than that, okay? Right out of the letter of Ephesians. So if you're interested in that, go to my website, jeremiahbolick.com. If you can spell my name, you can get there. And my name should be written around here somewhere. We good on that? Open your Bibles up to Ephesians. Now, I want to get into tonight, and you're going to like tonight. I like tonight. Uh, I got into the, uh, to the book of Ephesians, as I said, a year ago. And I, just, and, and I would encourage you to do this if you're ever going to study uh, a book. Um, and I was just talking with a young man, uh, one of the teenagers from, I forget where he's even at, Ohio, I think. And he was asking me, where should I study? And because he's kind of reading through the Bible. And, and I said, what I would do is I'd get in the book of Matthew. Watch The Chosen, I told him. Go watch The Chosen, because it's kind of the gospel in today's language, which is awesome. Um, but then get into Matthew and just read through it. And so he read through it. And then he, he emailed me and goes, I read through it. Now what? I'm like, read through it again. And so we've done that like four or five times, and he gets back to me, and he's like, let me guess, read through it again. Yes, read through it again. And I spent a year in, in the letter to Ephesus. And... Uh, kind of got an overview of it that we talked about on Sunday morning. And uh, I really want to get into the armor of God section in chapter 6, verses 10 down through verse 20. Because it's just really, really good. Now, I'm going through the beginning part as well, and we're going to be preaching through the book of Ephesians over the next couple of years. But I've just really been dedicating a lot of time to uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And the, the center... The center focal point of this little section, okay, these 10 verses, is verse 12, okay? You do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The term there, that's some of your translations will say wrestle, some will say struggle. It's literally the word fist fight. It's hand-to-hand combat. I mean, this isn't casual. This is scrappy stuff. This is blood. This is... I mean, this is what you're going after it. I mean, you have to really be pushed hard to fight, okay? Especially church folk. But that's this word. That's just the idea. Okay, your fight. Okay, you do have a battle. Now, it's not saying you might fight. Your fight. You do have a fight, man. Okay, you got to fight. And your fight is not against flesh and blood. So stop yelling at your wife. Seriously, man. Stop yelling at your husband. Stop yelling at your next door neighbor. You're like, he's not that smart. We, we know. We know the guy. Okay, concede that. But that's not your problem. This problem is spiritual. If you want to have a biblical perspective. Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, I consistently have people say, well, hold on. Who are they? Well, that's what we looked at on Sunday morning. Okay, there is a spiritual realm. Okay, there is a spiritual realm with spiritual beings which you and I not only have access to, okay, we have access to that spiritual realm, but that's where our battle lies. That's where our fight is. And you are equipped for that realm. Okay? You are equipped for that realm. So Sunday morning, I kind of gave us an overview of that. And I want to do just a little bit of a review tonight, a little bit of a recap, because I think it'll be helpful for us. But as we, as we kind of talked about Sunday morning... And hey, we could do whatever we want tonight. It's just us, right? So if you, have, if you have a question, raise your hand, okay? We can, seriously, we just walk through this. How I began a year ago is I began to, the Lord just brought my attention. And it was the Lord. He brought my attention 
to the like the spiritual emphasis of the first century, not just with Jesus casting demons out of people and all that kind of stuff. I mean, and not just, he wasn't just running into physical problems. Sometimes even the physical sicknesses were caused by spiritual beings. I mean, there was literally a spirit of infirmity. And so that was like Jesus' perspective on all this. He looks at Peter and says, your adversary. He doesn't say it's Rome. He didn't even say it's the Pharisees. He goes, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. Come on. You have an adversary. Okay? It's not physical. Your adversary is spiritual. That was the culture of the, during Jesus' day. When you get into the early church, it's the same kind of thing, man. Their, their issues were always, I mean, he's writing here to the church in Ephesus. They haven't changed their tune on this. And this wasn't just a New Testament thing. When you go back into the Old Covenant, it's the same kind of deal. In the Old Covenant, man, it was, there was a whole nother world that existed. There was a whole nother spiritual world. But in the Old Covenant, they didn't have access to it. In the New Covenant, we do. We good? In the Old Covenant, we didn't have access to it. In the New Covenant, we do. And so I found it interesting when Paul is talking about these rulers these authorities, these principalities. Well, when did we enter this fight and what's the big deal? Like, that was my deal. I was like, I don't need any more drama in my life, okay? I've got family. You know, I don't, come on, I don't, I don't need any more drama. And so I went back and thought, where did we get pulled into this war? Well, we got pulled into this war when Satan went after Adam and Adam handed satanic authority he handed over to Satan this, this authority that he had, which gave Satan authority into Adam's life. Okay? This is big. So what ended up happening, as I, as I shared with you, you come into um, Ezekiel chapter 28 and Isaiah chapter 14. We learned a little bit about our adversary. We learned a little bit about the enemy. That Satan was created in, in, in Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel 28. He was put in the Garden of Eden. He had a role there. He had a job description. He was a guardian cherub. He was not this all-powerful guy that could kind of pop, go wherever he wanted and do whatever. He was a ministering angel sent to serve. That's who he was. But he became jealous, Isaiah chapter 14, of Adam and what Adam carried. Remember, Satan wanted to be like God, and Adam was created in his image and likeness. That's so big. Satan wants what you carry. Seriously, he does. He wants what you and I have. He wasn't created to have that. He wasn't created to walk in that kind of authority. And that stuff was obvious. It became obvious to me when you're looking at, at this kind of power that the enemy yielded in the Old Testament, where he was able to go, what he was able to do. I'm like, he wasn't created with that. I mean, he comes to Jesus, shows him, in Luke chapter 4, shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he's like, I'll give you all of their authority and splendor. You guys ever read that verse before? Let, let me read this to you. Luke, this is just in case they forgot it. Just in case they forgot it. Luke chapter 4, verse 5. The devil leads Jesus up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he says to Jesus, I will give you all of their authority and their splendor, for it has been given to me, and I'll give it to anyone I, I can give it to anyone I want to. And I thought, what idiot gave him that? We did. He wasn't created with that power. It was given to him. 
And I'm telling you, that teaches you a lot about sin. If you want to know what sin is, sin is not something physical. Sin is giving the enemy permission to operate in your life. Let that sink in. Seriously, let that sink in. You want Satan running around your home? Sin. You want Satan operating in your marriage? Sin. Get out of looking at your spouse through the eyes of Jesus and listening to the Spirit and listen to your emotions. Operate in bitterness, unforgiveness. Just have that. Do help yourself. And you're going to follow the same path that Adam did. That's the devastation of sin. Isn't that interesting? So Satan literally was jealous of Adam and Eve and stole their inheritance and walked in that inheritance for 4,000 years until Jesus says, give it back, you bully. So when Satan comes to you and I and tempts us, it's very important to understand you're not, you know, and I meet so many people that are like, they're intimidated, they're scared of, they don't understand, they're, you know, oh, Satan's beating me up. What are you talking about? He's a butler. You're royal. Seriously. I'm not slandering. Jude always says, don't slander celestial beings. And I'm not. But he's he's Mr. Belvedere. He's Benson if you're older. And if you're older than that, I don't have to tell you. <laughs> Seriously, man, he's not, he's not a son. He's not a daughter. You're a son or a daughter. Live like it, man. Now, I tell you all that because that's the lens by which Paul writes. He does not write like you're a victim, does he? We've been looking at that last night and Sunday night. You're not a victim. Okay, so how does he write? This section of chapter 6, verses 10 through 20 of Ephesians is all about how we are to operate spiritually into our world. Now, you can go on my, again, my, uh, you can go on my website and, and go to that sermon podcast. Um, I've got a sermon on there called Two Command, or Three Commands. So when we're getting into verses 10 through 13, this is introductory. The actual armor of God isn't talked about until you get down to verse 14. So we're going to start in verse 14 tomorrow. But verses 10 through 13, I've got uh, two, two studies on. Okay, two studies on. One is called three commands, and then tonight's called two infinitives. You're lucky. We get to talk about infinitives tonight. Man, look at the teens. They're just like, yes, I came the, I came the right night. <laughs> so give you a really quick recap of the three commands. And a command, these commands are in the imperative mood. Okay, that's what a command is. It's the strongest grammar they have for saying, hey, pay attention. You too. <laughs> it's the strongest. I was teasing dear. I was talking to them. I wasn't talking to you. She said, that guy's a freak. (laughs) Um, Three commands. It's the strongest grammar we have for a command. So I'm commanding you to do this. Commanding you to wake up. Come on, I'm commanding you this. The first one is in verse 10. He says, be strong. That is not an option. It's be strong, but it's not. It's kind of like you ever met anybody, come on, man, suck it up, let's go. They psych each other up on the sideline when they're getting ready to go in, or or there's a fight, or there's a wrestling match. Come on, man, they're, you know, that kind of an idea. That's this, but it's, the emphasis is not physical. Listen to what he says. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his power. Seriously, every day you have got to get up and say, Jesus, I'm yours. 
I'm going to throw all of my emphasis, all of my security in you. I am. So the enemy comes to me, the enemy comes to me a lot with my past. Past failures, with these threats, these unrealistic fears of life. And I immediately throw myself into his strength that he's my strong tower. You are the butler. I am the son. And you're not allowed to touch me. You're literally not allowed to do anything without his permission. Can I give you an illustration of this? Just really quickly. Um, there's this movie. I can't remember if it's appropriate, so don't go watch it unless you want to or do studies on it. But it's, it's by Denzel Washington. It's called Deja Vu. Anybody ever heard of that? Yeah. Those are the people who shouldn't be watching those movies. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just teasing. I watched it too. But I can't remember what, and I can't remember what it's in it, but it was, it was interesting because Denzel Washington is this police officer who ends up arresting this guy, and he's sitting to death for all these murders, but he's got this spirit in him. And it's apparently it comes out at the end that he's this spirit that's back in the time of Jesus' day. And right at his at the beginning, right when he's being he's being killed, he starts speaking in like fluent Arabic, and, or not Arabic, but Hebrew. And, and this Jewish guy's like, man, that, and, and, and the investigation of the movie happens, he goes and talks about it and totally ruined the whole movie for you. But he goes and, and uh, he investigates it and he goes, this guy speaks perfect dialect. That's impossible. Well, it's the spirit that's in him. But it's interesting, he's constantly framing Denzel Washington throughout the movie, is this spirit will just jump into anybody he wants to and takes over their bodies. So what ends up happening is a spirit jumps into this normal lady who comes out and, and pulls a, pours a, points a gun at Denzel Washington, and he's like, don't shoot. Are you listening? He says, don't shoot. And, and he pulls out the gun, and he shoots him, or shoots the lady, and then the spirit jumps into someone else who grabs the gun and runs off, and then the spirit jumps into somebody else when the news and the police come, and the spirit jumps into somebody else and says, oh, he, he did it on purpose, and jumps into someone else. Yeah, I saw it. He did it. And it's like that kind of trap. And it really, does it make sense? And you just have to see the movie. But I really was like, man, what would stop the enemy from doing that? Seriously, what would stop the enemy from just framing you? From jumping in a demonic person and making an accusation against you? What if it doesn't stick, it's still an accusation. Jesus. Yeah. Seriously, because I was talking with a friend of mine, and I was like, listen, I, I, a guy did youth ministry, and we have really tight, we have tight boundaries on us in, in youth ministry. And I'm like, what would happen if a youth, um, a youth speaker is at this camp, and two demonic individuals, two demonic girls came? What if the enemy would just send two demonic girls, and they would make accusations, demonic accusations against him? Why don't you do that? Well, why doesn't he do that? He's not allowed Dude, think about that. Think about that. You are hidden in Christ. Isn't that phenomenal? That's what he's saying here. Listen, throw your strength in him. When the enemy comes at you with fear, he's a liar. He's a liar, man. That's the number one command. Never fear. Why? Because I'm in him. First command. We got to get going. This is taking way too long. And there are two other commands, which we're not going to go into, but they are the command in verse 11 and verse 13. They're the commands to put on. Okay? You're to put on this armor of God that we're going to be looking at. Now, tonight, and this won't take very long, but we want to look at uh, the three infinitives. Now, really quickly, 
An infinitive is really important, okay? An infinitive, and this is probably not the, the most accurate, um, I think it's pretty accurate, but there's different ways to look at an infinitive, but the basic idea of an infinitive is it completes the thought of the main verb. So the verb of these commands, for instance, where we're going to find our infinitive is in verse uh, 11 and 13. Okay? So it's put on the armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And the infinitive in this passage is in verse 11 and in verse um, 13 is, is to stand. Now, in my translation, it didn't, it's not translated to stand, but it's put on the, former, uh, on the full armor of God so that you can stand. And stand is the main verb, okay? So, so check this out. And it's, again, our, our translations make it a little bit difficult, but this command of putting on the armor of God is, is for a reason, so you can stand. Now, uh, an infinitive functions like this. In an infinitive, like someone comes up to you and says, um, you are able. Bob, you're able. Okay. He would immediately say, I'm able to do what? To do is the infinitive. So a to do, well, or, or an infinitive, completes the thought of the verb in the sentence. Okay. So the whole real thought of verses 11, 13 with these commands is that you are able to stand. In fact, listen how verse, thing, uh, verse 13 puts it. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you are going to be able to stand. So now get, put two things together. This is really important. First thing is that you are able. God has made you able. There's no question. Okay? You are able to stand if you're wearing the armor. If you're not wearing the armor, might not be able to stand. But you are able to stand. Now, I want to look at these infinitives more because there's a little bit, there's more to them. Uh, there's an infinitive in verse 11 and then there's a finitive in verse 13. There's two infinitives I want to look at. Fair enough? You with me so far? We good? I make that understandable? There's three commands in verses 11 through 13. They're really strong. You've got to put on the armor of God. Put your faith in him. Put your trust in him. Then there's two more commands about putting on the armor. And the reason you put on the armor is so you can stand. Look at me. So you, can put, you put on the armor so you can stand. That's really important. The whole purpose of Christianity is that, you know what the word to stand means? In fact, I think I wrote this down. Yeah, the whole idea to stand literally means is that you're not going to fall over. It's the word that's used in opposition to falling over. You should never, ever, ever fall to the enemy. Amen. You just can't. He's equipped you. Okay? So that's the idea. You're able to stand. Now, let's look at these two affinitives. Uh, in verse 11, um, the term uh, to stand is a unique term. It's, it's literally a military idea. And again, it's a contrast of not, of not falling. And you specifically, notice in verse 11, you take your stand against the devil's schemes. Scholars tell us, and I was reading a couple guys on this, I thought it was really good. I didn't even think of it, and I was really studying it before I even went and looked at the, the, the scholars, um, at least the commentary scholars. 
And it's in verse 11, it's defensive. It's defensive. Because you're to take your stand against the devil's schemes. Okay? The word schemes is used in the New Testament. Listen to this. The word schemes, that term, find it here. It's used in the New Testament uh, always in an evil manner. Only one definition. It's a false accuser and it's always used of the devil. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul tells us to take captive every thought and bring it into obedience of Christ because it may not be of the, it may not be of, of, of the Lord. It may be one of these schemes where the enemy comes and tries to feed you something, tries to say something. I've been using a couple illustrations this week about that. The enemy comes and he wants to... Uh, um, he wants to undermine who you are as a child of, of God, you know? He's, he's an accuser. You're no good. You're a loser. You're never going to overcome, you know? You and, your, you and your wife, you and your husband are never going to get over this. You're never going to get out of this mess. See, all of that's lies. All of that breeds despair. Paul says, take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. Because literally the devil's got all these schemes and it's literally the air kind of stuff. Let me give you a, an example of this biblically, which I think illustrates it well. Turn over with me to Titus chapter one. I'll give you an example of the devil's schemes. Did you know that uh, prejudice and uh, ethnic prejudice in particular was obviously common um, not just among the nations, but among the people of Israel. Dude, they were prejudiced. Like, the way they viewed the Samaritans, Jesus did not view the Samaritans. And that ended at, the, at the, you know, the rise of the church. In Titus chapter 1, I want you to look with me specifically, starting at verse 10. In verse 10, there are these people that are, that are rebellious. Listen to what verse 10 says. I'm reading out of the NIV. It says, For there are many rebellious people... Mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. So there's this group. And by the way, the actual group, there's a number of adjectives in there. Um, when I was reading it, I thought that the, just by reading it, I thought that the subject of the sentence, the actual people he's talking about were those who were the rebellious people. That's an adjective. Many, that's an adjective. Talkers, that's an adjective. The circumcision group, that's an adjective. Prepositional phrase operating as an adjective. So there are a bunch of adjectives in this sentence. The actual group that he's referring to are the deceivers. They're the ones who are de being deceived and they're deceiving others. And they're, they're, there's many different adjectives that describe them because of their deception. They're rebellious. The circumcision group means they're legalistic. You know, it's interesting. You get into a legalistic individual in the church, they're just deceived because God's not legalistic. He's just not legalistic. So he's talking about this group of spiritual leaders in the church, okay? They think they know everything there is to know about the scriptures and the word, probably in a position of leadership. And Paul says in verse 11, they must be silenced. The word silence means muzzled. Oh, I've been wanting to do that for a long time. <laughs> they must be silenced. Why? Dude, they're ruining people. You ever have visitors? I'm telling you, the easiest way to scare off visitors, put them around a legalistic, judgmental, accusing person in the church. Amen. That's what's happening. But do you know how it's happening? 
It's happening through racism. This is, I probably should go back and preach this. I preached this a long time ago, but this would be perfect in our, in our current culture. They're, being, they're, they're literally ruining, they're ruining people through racism. You say, how? It says, even their one, verse 12, how are they doing it? Even their own prophets have said. So now pause. When he says, even one of their own prophets, who are, who's the there? That's the circumcision group. So he's talking about a, a, a big mouth, a prophetic person, someone who's like proclaiming. He's actually a false prophet, but he's claiming to be one who has correct teaching. You pick that up? So among, in, in that legalistic group, okay, who are the, who, who are ruining the families, one of their own group is speaking out like they have authority. Cretans, which is people in this area, are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. And then he follows up in verse 13, says, I'm telling you the truth. He's not saying that's true about the Cretans. He's saying, I'm telling you everything I've said about this, because it would be hard to believe. You're, taking the, you're talking about the spiritual leaders. They're on the board. Yeah, they're poison. And here's what they're saying about our community. That Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy guns. I Googled this, and I found out that 300 years before this letter was written, there was a prophet, a false prophet. He was like just a, a big mouth in, in this area of their world who made a racial statement against Cretan people. He was very powerful and influential. He was a poet. And he made a racial statement about Cretan people. And it picked up and gained traction. Everybody used it. And now these legalistic church people are using worldly terminology to speak about the community in which they live. Uh, I had a guy... Yeah, not on, I'm on tape. <laughs> Talk to me afterwards. Well, I can say this much. See, I grew up with hearing Pollock jokes. That's racism. That's racist. That's making fun of, that's exploiting what ethnic group of people? Polish. That somehow because you're from Poland, that makes you like that. That's racism. I've heard people saying, oh man, you just got to, that price is too high. You've got to. Come on, man. That's racism. Certain kinds of jokes. There's an engine joke. That's racism. Wait, it says way to speak about Native Americans. There's black jokes, there's white jokes. Dude, we, that's all racism. That kind of language in our culture. See, when you're not hearing from the Lord and you bring that in, that's the deception. What is this? This is an example of the enemy's schemes that we operate in and we think in the ways of the world. Seriously, the problem is not with Polish people. The problem is not black. I'm telling you, the problem in our country is not black and white. Just not. You cut us open, we're human beings, man. There's one human race. There's not different races. There's one human race. There's different, different ethnicities. I come from a multiracial family. We have black, in my personal family, in like my own family, me, my wife, and my kids, there's black, uh, Hispanic, and white. And I'm like really, really white. But the point is, <laughs> I'm glow in the dark white. But my, my, my in fact, uh, my son is hysterical. He calls us dark chocolate, milk chocolate, and white chocolate. We all chocolate. <laughs> Isn't that funny? But we can talk like that because we're not racist. But there was a, there was a, Paul is always saying, so listen, take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. Why? Because the devil's schemes, 
He wants you to get, he wants to get you to align your thinking. There's schemes on how to, and I see this with like girls in our culture. There, there's a standard of beauty that, that young girls are under, that are under what they think is beautiful. I hear kids in the church today, they use the term, and I hear it from young couples as well. They call their wife sexy or hot. That's a sexualization of, of women. Girls aren't called pretty or beautiful or lovely. They're not talked about like that anymore. It's all sexual stuff. My wife's hot. No, well, maybe she is a sex object. I don't know. That's the schemes of the world. That's the lens. You know what it means to be sexy? But if you look that up, don't look it up. If you have to look that up on Google, it's, it's, it's being sexually desirable. I'm dressing in a way that makes people want to have. That's what it means to be. That, that's a worldly perspective. That's the schemes of the world. Now, what's he saying? When you put on the armor of God and you're equipped spiritually with everything God wants you to be equipped with, you're going to be able to stand up. You're not going to talk like that. You're not going to fall for those kinds of tricks. You say, fall for those kind of tricks. Yeah, you'd be surprised. I see people, dude, I get brutal with teenagers. I was at, this is 100% no embellishment. I was in Indiana a few weeks ago. And they had this huge youth group there that's main, that survived during COVID. And it's, they're awesome. And the kids are great. I don't, the problem's not the kids. The problem's mom and dad. And so these, these kids are coming and the way that the girls are dressed, the way that the guys talk about the girls and the girls talk about the guys. And I mean, it's just a mess. I mean, there's babies waiting to happen. I'm serious. This is bad. So we end up, and it was a couple of people talked about it. And so I did a combined Sunday. I told the pastor, I said, I want to do, I was there a Friday through Sunday morning. I said, I want to do a Sunday morning combined Sunday school with all the adult classes. My son was with me. So he, t- he preached to the teens and then they had the children's stuff. And I got up and I, I talked about it. And I said, I don't blame the kids. I blame you. I was like, yeah, those kids wouldn't be wearing those clothes if you didn't buy them. And what you have is a disconnect and both teen, which I expect because they're younger, but mom and dad are falling for the schemes of this world. So if you go back to verse 11 in Ephesians, Paul's like, listen, you live in a world where there's a, in fact, I put this on Facebook, I think today, but the problem that I have, that's what I put on Facebook. The problem that I have with the world media and the world, leash, lead, uh, uh, the world leadership, okay, presidents, dictators, all those kinds of things, is they are literally, they're literally imp- impressioning a society today with an anti-Christ worldview. That's what it is. They have an anti-Christ worldview. Yeah, it is. It's an anti-Christ worldview. They do not see or deal with things the way that Christ would. Which is one of the reasons we keep the news turned off in our house. I, I do. I, I, if there's a World War III, I want to know. I don't want to find out about a week later when I go to Walmart and it's not there. Okay, I, I, yeah, I want, to be, I want to be informed. But I'm very protective over that worldview in my home. And not just for my sake, for my wife and kids. So verse 11 is a defensive, it's a defensive verse. You want to know how to be on defense because the enemy's attacking. You want to know how to be on a defense is you are not to be shaped by that worldview that you're able to stand under that worldview against, listen to verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the enemy. 
He's scheming. Okay, that's the first one, really quickly. Here's the second one. The second standing, okay, the first word for stand in verse 11 is, is a particular word. Um, it's the word histami, and it's, it's literally translated to stand. It's a military term of just standing and not falling over. But the stand in verse 13 is the word stand. It's the same word in verse 11, but also added to it is against. Now we translate it the same, but it's literally stand against because it's a different kind of standing. It's an offense. This is so good. So verse 11 is defensive. The, the enemy's got all these schemes in our culture and you've got to have the right focus. You've got to be equipped and literally to see so you're not, you don't fall against those, those, those schemes of the enemy. But in verse 13, it's not just in general that you are literally on the offense of a direct attack of the enemy. So it's not just stand, it's stand against. Look at how verse 13 reads. Verse 13 reads, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes... This is a whole different deal. This is just the schemes. This is a day of evil. And by the way, a day of evil or the day of the Lord marks a specific day. There's, there's going to times going to come. It's going to be on a day when you're going to have to stand. My NIV says stand your ground. And it's literally the idea of a direct, a direct assault of the enemy against you. Let me give you a couple places where this term is used. Um, Luke chapter 21, verse 15. Let's, let's go there real quick. Now, this whole, this whole context actually begins in verse 13. Um, this is uh, Jesus in his talk about the signs of the end of the age. Verse 12 goes, but before all this, they will lay hands on you. Now, notice this isn't scheming. This is assault stuff. They will lay hands on you. And persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. This will result in your being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourself, for I will give you words of wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. That's the idea, the adversary. It's a little bit different language, but it's the same idea. That you, This is not just general persecution. This is an adversary that's specifically going to be able to attack you, but you're going to be able to stand up against it. You're going to have words. You're going to have wisdom. And you're not going to fall. That's the idea of our passage. It's not just a general kind of an attack. It's literally that you're going to be attacked against. Let me give you another one. And if I remember right, in Acts chapter 6, this is uh, a word's actually used here. Acts chapter 6, verse 10. This is great. So Stephen, <laughs> this is so good. So Stephen is seized, okay? Paul, by the way, is here before he, actually he's Saul before he turned to Paul. And man, they're like coming against him. And it says that... Uh, Verse 8, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wondrous miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province of Cilicia and Asia. These men did begin to argue with Stephen. Get this, but they could not stand against. That's our term. 
against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. That's the idea. So this idea of stand against literally has to do with, with, with Stephen and these Jews and they're pitted against each other. They're pitted against each other. And the Jews, you just, you're, the enemy is never going to win against a child of God. You got to be prepared. You got to be resourced. And, and in the passage, he says, it didn't like they couldn't stand against, you know, Stephen's spirituality, his super knowledge of the Bible. Dude, he was plugged into the Holy Spirit. He was plugged into wisdom that was beyond him. That's our passage. See, you're literally to be, in, you're literally to have this armor. God is going to arm you. Look at me. God is going to arm you spiritually, not just so you don't fall for the deceptions of this world. That's verse 11. But in verse 13, he's going to arm you so that when the day of evil come and these boneheads come against you, you're going to be able to stand. And you're going to be able to stand against them. And here's the thing. It's not people. It's spirits, which tell, in my mind, gives me a whole different perspective of this scene. This was spiritually contrived. There was a spiritual deal going on here. I think I have one more. Acts chapter 13, you're already in Acts chapter, uh, so scroll over to Acts chapter 13, verse 4. Scroll, I guess I assumed you all have digital. I thought this was neat. So this is Paul uh, end up going to this, in this Cyprus area, and they run into this Jewish this Jewish guy. Uh, so verse six, they traveled through the whole island and they came to Paphos. And there they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet. He was an attendant of the proconsul, which means he had authority in the city. The proconsul, this guy, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But this fellow, the sorcerer, opposed them that's, by the way, that's the idea. That's, that's the opposition. This isn't general. This is a, this is literally an attack. Like you, this is the fighting. Remember in verse 12, our fight, this is the fight. Okay. So he opposed them. Then Paul, listen, verse nine, then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at this guy and said, you're a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery and you will never stop perverting the ways of the Lord. Now the hand of the Lord is against you and you're going to be blind. And from that time, you will be unable to see the light of the sun and immediately missed. Wouldn't it be neat if we could just do that? Wouldn't it be great? I'm praying for that one. Immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Oh, wouldn't that be awesome at Walmart? <laughs> just for a time. Seriously, these kinds of statements, and literally fear the Lord, went throughout the land. Why? Don't mess with the child of God. Seriously, I, I really believe straight on attacks of the enemy. I, this is just theory, okay? Straight on attacks of the enemy, I believe are less. And it's, he, he attacks more subtly when you begin to grow in the knowledge of who you are. That's right. I do. I really believe that. Right. I, believe it's, I believe it's subtle. Because he's not going to come at you. He's not going to come at you the way he used to come at you. See, little, the enemy never comes to me and says, hey, Jeremiah, um, you know, fight that guy. Or, hey, Jeremiah, watch that inappropriate show. Or, hey, rob that bank. 
We get stretched financially sometimes, but I never like, you know what? I think I might rob a bank today. Hold on. Is that the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Come on, dude. Seriously? Come on. That's not, that's not how it goes. He's subtle. He plants deceptive thoughts. He wants me to be judgmental. It's these kinds of, and it's interesting, man, Paul, like the fear. In fact, it's interesting. I, I love the passage where you have uh, after Ephesus is back in Acts chapter 20, I think when Paul comes in and all of Ephesus is just transformed, he ends up leaving. And you have these, what are the seven sons of Sceva? Remember that whole deal and that whole scene? You guys remember that whole deal? And they're like casting out demons and this demon comes, they're trying to cast out these, they're saying, in the name of the God of Paul, <laughs> Jesus, come out. And this demon goes, we know Jesus. And the word know there is gnosko. We've had experience with him. It wasn't pleasant. And then it says, we've heard about this Paul guy but who are you? And literally beat these guys to pieces. But it was, it, I, I was like, that's incredible that they've heard of Paul. Yeah, we don't know what to do with that guy. Reminds me of the first guy, Jesus. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful? That person's a child of God. You've got to be stealthy against them. That's the stand against language. See, I don't believe God has made you and I victims. I just don't believe that. I think that's why literally Paul says we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. It's not arrogance. I just know who I am. I do. I know who I am. I know who I am. For more information, visit www.jeremiahbullockministries.com. That's www.jeremiahbullockministries.com.